My dear friends in Christ, as these weeks of Lent begin, may the Holy Spirit open your ears to the word of God's promise in Jesus Christ so that you would always have the grace and peace and mercy of God abounding all around you and for you in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lent has begun for us. And you can't almost speak of Lent without saying things like it has a beginning and an end as if we're going somewhere. Usually it's a Lenten journey of some type. We're never quite sure exactly what the path is going to be, but we know we're supposed to start doing something else than we've been before. But really, Lent is just a season, a marking of time. And it marks time in the church calendar in two ways. First, it marks the time between Jesus telling his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and be rejected and die, and when he actually gets there. As such, Lent is always closely associated with sin and repentance and the death of Jesus. And in the second way, Lent is this 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness that we heard about today that follows after Jesus' baptism, where he encounters Satan, where he's with the wild beasts, and where the angels wait upon him. It was right after his baptism that the Bible tells us that the Spirit cast him out into the wilderness he didn't go on a wandering, aimless journey, but the Spirit drove him out there, threw him from where he was out into the wilderness. And so this time in the wilderness is not just a self-chosen journey, but a time where the Spirit is actually pushing him out into the wilderness, out into the world. Was it kind of a test? That's usually what we think. Was it a training program of some type? That's what we think Lent becomes, right? Perhaps this was a kind of wilderness survival school that the Spirit was throwing Jesus in to see if he could sharpen his skills and, and hone his, uh, his craft for whatever was to come. The wilderness being a scary and difficult place that Jesus had to get his power up and see if, he was, see if his metal could be tested in order to take on the world. That's usually how we enter into temptation, isn't it? With a bit of fear and worry, thinking that we can go into it with our own power and show how we can address the problems of the world. Usually we start out saying, I'm pretty strong, but I need a little bit of training, a little bit more strength and we might even keep going in a, for a little while, getting our strength up for a little bit. And we know we might have a few stumbles along the way, but we'll pick ourselves up and dust off the dust and keep going, right? But even as we do that, we know that we do succumb finally. Because whatever power we have in our muscles, in our mind, or in our will, finally fails us. We can go only so long. 
I mean, I can't even have ice cream in the freezer. It won't last weeks, maybe days, usually hours. I I can put it in there, and I can say I'm only going to have a little bit, but as soon as everybody goes to bed, Gene knows what I'm talking about, I'll take a little extra because my willpower falls quickly. It's there, tempting me, isn't it? And so how do I deal with temptation but one of two ways to say, I'm going to get my power up this time and it's going to be different, or keep it out of the house and avoid it altogether. But this entire idea of temptation through Lent ends up with us contending not against Satan and sin and death, but against chocolate and caffeine And if we can't even tackle those small things, how in the world can we think that our power anywhere within us is going to be able to conquer and contend with the sin that clings so closely, that hounds us at every turn, which Satan can use to harden our hearts against our neighbor? The temptation is always to turn inward, back to your own power, back to your own strength and your own willpower and your own self-resolve to show God that you're doing better this time. The temptation is to think that God has sent you into the wilderness and put temptations before you so that you could show him that this time you're going to do it. That this time, your willpower won't let you down. That this time, this time, you can do something for God. But even here in the wilderness, Jesus isn't out here with his great strength, doing his bodybuilding and showing how he is going to conquer everything by whatever he might do. Of course, he's going to conquer sin. But he's going to conquer it not through training and new habits, but because the angels are serving him, reminding him, not of here is the food and drink that you need, but here is the word that your father has given you. You are the beloved son. You need nothing else than this promise to hear and to cling to as the sin of the world comes to attack him. That's the angel's job, don't you know? Delivering the message. They are God's mailman. They bring it. They hand it over. They say, this is what God has been saying to you. And here they are in the wilderness, in the unknown, with the wild beasts, with just the simple message of God that has already been given. You are the beloved. The devil's temptation, of course, is not throwing chocolate and Coca-Cola before you. But it's always much simpler than that. It's simply to ask a question, did God mean what he said to you? Was he serious about that? Did he give you that word on purpose? And are you going to be serious about it now? You see, he takes the word and turns it back upon you to say, yes, I'll be serious now just as God was serious to me. 
to do your own part after God has established his promise to you. Our Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 9 speaks of this directly to us. After the flood, after the destruction, after the death is all there. Did you hear, as Pastor Jeff read, how God speaks a word to the world? I am establishing my covenant with you. I am doing this all without regard for how you will take it. I promise that I will never again cut off all flesh by flood. I am establishing my covenant, and it requires nothing of you. I make this and put it on my own self. I'm making this promise, and it requires absolutely nothing from you. You have no part to play in it. You don't even have to remember it. You don't even have to give thanks for it. You don't even have to carry it around in your back pocket and say, what am I going to do with it? And it's just the way that God speaks to us of our own baptism, just the way that he spoke to Christ at his own. You are my beloved son. I do this for you. Before you could even say, I want to do something back for God, God says, I have joined you to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By my own promise and power, I claim you as my own, and nothing you do or do not do is going to tear that apart. So Jesus is thrown out by the Spirit, out into the wilderness, not the way we would enter into with fear and worry and thinking the test is too hard, but Jesus is cast out there by the Spirit to go hunting, to go hunting for sin, to look for it, to go after it, to say to the devil in the place where he can operate, I'm coming for you. I'm coming after you. You won't be able to hide out here in the wilderness in the unknown and the fears any longer. For in all of this place where you would operate wondering if you have got a hold of us, I'm coming to tell you, you do not. He enters into the wilderness where the wild beasts are around him to say, there is nothing that will frighten me off. I'm going into the temptation of the world, not away from it. I step into the wilderness where Satan might find me in order to find him. And he goes not with guns and power, but with the simple promise of God the Father. That simple and sure promise of God, which is what Satan absolutely hates. For out there in the wilderness, Satan can play the games of what if, and are you serious? Did you do your part and temptation comes? But here with the promise of God, there is no more ifs, ands, buts, or whatevers. For us, it says in 1 Peter, Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour, seeking out the suffering in order to find a crack, in order to enter into your conscience. where he can say, God can't really be for you 
in all of the troubles you see around, right? God can't be for you with all the death and pain and illness that surrounds. Don't you have any heartache? Would God love you if that were true? Look at your loneliness. God can't be near you, can he? Yes, Satan enters into our suffering in order to speak a word of doubt to our conscience, to tempt us and make us cower and worry. It is exactly the certainty that baptism gives us that drives Satan's temptation toward you. For he just simply cannot stand by and let God's word cling to you alone. He finds the cracks, he finds the openings, and says, there I can get you. But because God has given such a direct and clear word to you, he can't have any, op- any room to operate to, to go directly at the word, and so he's always coming at you through your suffering in order to tear you apart, to pull you just a little bit away from the surety of God's promise. He goes after our human weakness. He goes after your insecurities and your mistrust of others. He goes after your constant need for comfort and affirmation. It's sad, really, just how easily we are manipulated by all the voices that swirl within our mind. So that Satan has to only whisper to your insecure conscience and then watch as you crumble, as your peace disappears, and as you stumble and fall in worry. The temptation is meant to take your trust and turn you into a meek, mild, quiet, cowering individual. But Christ is here out in the wilderness showing you that in the midst of the trial and temptation, you don't have to rely on your own strength and willpower, but you have God's promise. And in that promise, you're not a mouse. Goodness, you're a lion tamer. Neither wild beasts nor the unknowns of the wilderness have any hold on you, for you have God's word as a wooden chair and a whip saying, get off me, go away. You have nothing to cling to in me, for God has clung to me himself. Neither Satan, nor the suffering, nor the temptations of this world can take that promise from you, for God has established it by his own power and word. And so that's what Lent is, right? Don't you see it now? It's not our do-it-yourself season. It's not a strengthen-yourself time. But rather, it is a call to follow Christ as we watch him. Not even walking with him, but watch him go to the cross. For where, we, where in Jesus we see now God establishing his covenant with us, by his own power and will. Not because we go there with him, but because he tells us this 
is what I do for you. And so we listen to this promise. And we trust in his grace and mercy, not by our own strength and power, but by the power of his word given to us. His unbreakable, unshakable, absolutely certain word. And we see God then turning us away from ourselves, turning us to him as he takes and removes us from our sin, tearing it away, pulling us away from our sin so that we would be joined only to Jesus Christ. He does this in order to give you a brand new voice, a clear and good conscience, so that when temptation comes, you could say, you have nothing to say to me any longer. When sin comes around, you can say, you are gone, banished. I have God's promise on it. In fact, to you, I am dead. I hear nothing more that you say, for I am alive in my Lord and Savior. I belong to Christ. He is mine. I am his. And no voice of sin, doubt, or temptation will ever tear me away from that. Amen.